You know, when we really get going on a song like Build Your Kingdom Here, and there's energy and there's instruments and everything, it makes me think a little bit of Psalm 150, which towards the second half says, Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet, with the harp and lyre, praise Him with timbrel and dancing, praise Him with strings and pipe, praise Him with the clash of cymbals, praise Him with resounding cymbals, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I think we get to do just that. Everything that has breath praises the Lord. We do so with guitars. We do so with keyboards, with um, cymbals, but also Chris uh, Cajon, right? Yeah. Um, but everything that has breath is called to praise the Lord. And so we do just that. We also come now before God's Word to study and to be taught how to pray, what to believe. And this will shape and form in us how we praise our Lord and God. So I invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew is one of the Gospels in the New Testament. And so the New Testament is actually the much thinner portion towards the back of your Bibles. A little over four-fifths of the way back. Uh, But this morning we'll be focusing on Matthew chapter 6. Verses 9 through 13, as we will continue to do throughout the summer, praying the Lord's Prayer and focusing on one piece at a time. And so on this weekend, on this holiday weekend of 4th of July, we get to focus on what does it mean that Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. So before we come to the attention of God's word, let's pray together. God, we come and we give you thanks. We give you thanks that we are free to gather here, free to worship you, free that everything that has breath may praise the Lord here in this place. We give you thanks for that freedom. And we give you thanks that you, through your Son, Jesus Christ, have given us freedom over our souls to truly praise you, that you have released us from our sin and from all that binds us that our hearts may truly reach out to you and sing praises to you. Lord, may we now be free to hear your word, unhindered, undistracted, but simply able to focus upon you and the type of kingdom that you have called us to be a part of and to further the work that on earth may be as it is in heaven. Lord, send your Holy Spirit upon us that we may freely hear from you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In December, something is going to happen the same way that it happens every year. Unless Jesus returns before December... At the end of this year, of December of 2016, 
we will enter into the church season of Advent. And every year during Advent, when we are getting ready for Christmas, as we're awaiting, as we're seeking the coming and the expectation of Jesus being born, every single year during Advent, you will hear at least one sermon that makes you feel just a little bit smug about yourself. As we remember that when Jesus came into the world, he was not the Savior that the people were expecting. The people of Israel, under Roman occupation, had a more militaristic vision of someone who would come and overthrow Rome's oppressive grip over Israel. And so when Jesus showed up, people didn't recognize him because he wasn't the Savior that they were looking for. He didn't fit the vision that they were seeking. The type of kingdom that he was talking about wasn't the type of kingdom that the people of Israel expected the Messiah to bring. Every year, and this year will be no different, at some point in Advent, we will cover the expectations of the coming Messiah. And we'll talk about how the people of Israel were wrong and misguided. And admittedly, we'll feel just a little bit smug about ourselves. Oh, silly Israelites who had the wrong vision of the Messiah who is coming. It makes us feel good about ourselves. And we need that during the stress of Christmas. But there's also a challenge in that. There's also a challenge in in those who couldn't see what we can because we have the advantage of hindsight and knowing who Jesus is. But rather, there's a challenging question of wondering, where is it in our lives, in our vision of the king and the kingdom that reigns over the world, where is it that our expectations are a little bit off? Where are we not seeing clearly? Where are our expectations just wrong? in the same way that the people of Israel who were expecting the Messiah to be very different than how Jesus showed up, were just wrong. Praying your kingdom come might be a great way to really intentionally dig into wondering what is our vision? What kind of kingdom do we expect? What kind of reign of God do we expect When we pray those words, not just glazing over them, but with intentionality, thy kingdom come. What does it mean to pray that God's kingdom will be here? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe for some of us, the 4th of July is a time just to pause as we're simultaneously grateful for the freedoms that we have especially thankful for those who provide those freedoms at great sacrifice and cost. There's celebration. But this year, in our season of political turmoil, in an election year unlike any other, we also feel the angst. We're thankful for where we live, but we're also just dissatisfied with the state of politics with the conversations that are being had at a national level, with the voices that misrepresent us and the unfair caricatures that we suffer. 
with all that's going on in the world on this holiday weekend where we are thankful, we're also just a bit distressed. And it makes us wonder, what is our vision? What is our vision, maybe for, first of all, what our nation should look like? But as Christians, as people who follow Christ, how does Jesus inform what kind of vision we're supposed to have? What is the kingdom hope that we have? And are we like the Israelites, sometimes just a little bit distracted by a different version than the one that God has painted for us? Our kingdom hope is the kingdom of God, which means it's not based on earthly politics of one nation, but it's God's reign over everyone. Now, certainly, being people of God, being Uh, Christians has implications on how we vote, and it has implications on how we hope and what we pray for our nation. But maybe at this point in time, it's good for us to remember that bigger than all of that is how we pray. Voting is important, certainly. But what has more power? Your vote? Or your prayer, offered before God, whom we say has created the heavens and the earth. Voting is important, but prayer, prayer is tapping into something so much bigger. Bigger than one nation, longer history. Prayer is approaching our Father, who is in heaven whose name will be hallowed throughout the earth. We are reminded, as we pray, Thy kingdom come, that we are seeking something bigger, something bigger than any of us can capture or imagine in our lifetime, and something bigger than any country that has ever existed. God's name signifies His innermost nature. Hence we pray, Hallowed be Thy name. And God's kingdom signifies the expression of his nature in his rule over the world. So we have prayed to God who is our Father in heaven, and we have prayed that his name may be kept holy. But now we pray that his kingdom may come, that his, he whose name is holy will also have reign over the whole world. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, is teaching us again both how to pray and what to believe, or what to pray and how to believe. Because prayer teaches us what we pray and what we believe are very closely linked. And what we mean, what ideas we have in the back of our heads as we pray, even these familiar words of the Lord's Prayer, is telling of where our hearts are what we believe and how we pray, as well as how we pray and what to believe. And Jesus, in his time, in a time when everyone was expecting the Messiah to be uh, some political savior who would do a massive overhaul of the system, in that day and age, Jesus taught his disciples, those who recognized him and understood who he was, he teaches them to pray, your kingdom come. And Jesus is giving a reframed history lesson in doing this. 
Consider for an instance, if we were a Jewish audience hearing Jesus preach this in the Sermon on the Mount for the first time, teaching the disciples to pray in this way. They're going back into their nation's history, going back all the way to the day of the judges when Israel was first settled in Canaan. Scholar Philip Harner in the book Understanding the Lord's Prayer says it this way, For the first two centuries after their settlement in Canaan, the Israelites generally felt that they could not have a human king because the Lord was their king. When some of the people asked Gideon to become king, he reflected the prevailing attitude by replying, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. From Judges 8.23. In the days of the judges, although things were not so good all the time, in the days of the judges, Israel couldn't understand the concept of a human king because the Lord was to be their king. The Israelites didn't believe just in that reign of God with uh, an authority that was strong, but also one that was loving. The Israelites believed that their divine king had the attributes of glory and power, and they also emphasized his ethical qualities of mercy and love, righteousness and truth. We heard a reflection of that in Psalm 145. All of this to say, the Israelites had a perfect vision of what their king and thus the kingdom was supposed to be. But it never came to full fruition. It was never quite right. And eventually they would find earthly kings and there would be some good ones and some bad ones and back and forth they would go. But they were holding on to the idea of a great king who would reign over a great kingdom. And this was not just for them. At their best, they had a broad and wide and miraculous vision of what that kingdom could be. Harner says it this way, The Israelites expanded their understanding of God as king. He was not simply the God of a particular group of people. He was not just the God who guided them in their wanderings and protected them in times of danger, but he was the righteous king over all the earth. He was the righteous king over all the earth. At their best, the nation of Israel, this kingdom who sought God to be their king, had a vision that was beyond just their nation, beyond just their people, but it was a vision for all people to know the reign of God and to know God as king. At their best, they saw themselves as those who were blessed to be a blessing. Not blessed to hold on to for themselves, but blessed to be a blessing. At their best, that was the vision for the kingdom that the Israelites had. It wasn't scared. It wasn't frightened. It wasn't anxious or holding a tight grip onto what it had. It was a vision for all people. Israel was called to be blessed to be a blessing. Somewhere along the line, though, they got distracted. The binders got more focused. 
And their lens was no longer that God would be the benevolent rule over the whole world in his sovereignty and grace and mercy and righteousness and truth. But the Israelites got tunnel-visioned through political forces, through tumultuous changes in the world around them, they got tunnel-visioned into not seeing the whole world anymore as God's reign, but wanting to hold on to God for just themselves. They weren't looking for God to change the hearts of the whole world, but just to protect them. The Jews in Jesus' day were waiting, and they believed that the coming of God's kingdom would bring release from the bondage of Rome and restoration of the Jewish state. They became tunnel-visioned. They weren't blessed to be a blessing anymore to share. They thought that they were entitled to blessing and wanted to hold on to it with a tight grip. And their greatest fear was that someone could take that away from them. In Advent, we feel smug because we get to note that that was the attitude where Israel got it wrong. Between Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, things had changed. The people were scared. And when they became scared, their vision for God's reign became smaller. And then Jesus showed up. Jesus showed up and started talking about the kingdom as if some of it was already present, if not yet fully realized. Jesus showed up. In Matthew and Mark, both recorded saying these words, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. There's so much that would be hard for the original audience hearing the Lord's Prayer the first time to understand about that. For one, for Jesus to say the kingdom of God has come, they would say, where is it? It's not reflected in our politics. And yet Jesus says, nonetheless, the kingdom of God has come. And then Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. The Israelites did not see themselves as the people who needed repentance. Repentance was for everyone else. Repentance was for everyone else to feel bad about themselves when God took everything back and he would do it for them. Was there a hope? But rather, Jesus tells all that the kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus tells everyone, Jew and Gentile alike, to repent and believe the good news. Jesus did this because his kingdom was good news for everyone. Because Jesus, as the Son of God, Son of God the Father who reigns on high, who reigns over all the earth, Jesus had a kingdom vision that was not just the Israelites. And that is good news for us. Because I think most of us here are Gentiles. And Jesus' vision for his kingdom was for all people. This is good news for us. Jesus had a big kingdom vision. Jesus had a kingdom vision of all peoples throughout the earth, of every language and tribe and nation and tongue, everything that has breath, praising the Lord. This was a vision for all people, Jew and Gentile, slave and free. 
For some, this was unsettling and off-putting. And they couldn't follow Jesus because they wanted Jesus to be for them and only them. As we reflect in the deep corners of our hearts, is there not just a little bit of that within us? Where we want God to be for us, and rest assured, God is for us. But who else is God for? Who else did God call us to share the good news with? Salvation through Jesus Christ was not meant to be something to be held on to for one's own, but blessed to be a blessing, a gift that is meant to be shared for a kingdom vision that's bigger than us to be spread through all corners of the world. Today, politically, we maybe have a bit of tunnel vision because we're frightened, we're scared, often disgusted and frustrated. All the more reason to pray, Thy kingdom come. And to know that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who has the most reign and authority over us, told us of this bigger kingdom vision. And Jesus told us that that kingdom has already showed up. It's already been here, and it's only going to continue to grow by the word of God and by a faithful response in all of us. Because praying thy kingdom come, especially in times of turmoil, necessitates a faithful response on our part. And it requires us to share the vision that Jesus had, that every tribe and language, nation and tongue might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. There is a faithful response that when we pray, thy kingdom come, we also seek to make it so. And does this affect how we view our nation? Absolutely. Does it have implications for how we vote? Definitely. But also in our seasons of discouragement, we need to be reminded as Christians that we cannot legislate the kingdom of God into existence because God's kingdom is bigger than that. We can't legislate the kingdom into existence any more than we could legislate people into being Christians because God builds his kingdom one disciple at a time. Do we want righteous and moral laws? Yes, absolutely. But is our vision sometimes too small? Is our hope too easily shattered when things don't go our way? Can we hold on to that audacious hope and holy calling of praying, Your kingdom come? Because God, you're bigger than all of this, and we need you to be bigger than all of this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But let's not bridge into next week just yet. Thy kingdom come gives us hope when we're discouraged. It gives us thankfulness for freedoms that we do have. And it also moves us forward to continue to want to see God's kingdom vision built here and to align our vision with Jesus' vision. Now, for some, that ends up looking like looking towards the past, looking backwards. That's understandable. 
There is a very old retired professor of Western Theological Seminary whose name is George Brown. George is an old man, now quite frail. George, though, because he was older, I had him the last year that he was still teaching before he went into full retirement, not just kind of that partial retirement that some professors seem to do where they kind of stop being a professor, but they still keep keep going at it for a while. George, in one of his last classes, shared with us a glimpse of the past where he asked us where we thought that he learned the Ten Commandments. Interesting question. Our natural assumption was in Sunday school, except his family wasn't so faithful in church. So we wondered if he learned them at home. Wrong again. George Brown, in his day and age, learned the Ten Commandments in school, in public school at that. That's where George Brown learned the Ten Commandments. That would not be the case today. And we think maybe, well, where did George grow up? He's from New York. That wouldn't be the case today. And so what is our hope then? Is our only hope victory through legislation? Or is our only consolation looking backwards to the past of saying, well, things were better then. That was a better time. Although I'm a firm believer that there's no such thing as a good old day since Genesis 1 and 2. Once sin entered the world, there has been evil present in the world. It just takes different forms over time. But is our hope only looking backwards? Only longing for something that has been, instead of looking to what will be? Are we ever tunnel-visioned and not looking out wide enough to what God is doing? The kingdom vision is not one of looking backwards. The kingdom vision is one that looks forwards. The kingdom vision also includes that there is no cry more distracting than that of your own child. It just <laughs> any, Anybody else, it's no big deal, but like that's just the one that gets you. But with the example of a baby crying, the silence was nice, right? And then all of a sudden, there's this, there's this noise, and it, it, especially if it's your own kid, it causes this angst, and it brings things out in you. What is your hope at that point? Is your hope to just long for the days when things were quiet, to look back to the good old days when Ada was sleeping, or for Caitlin and I to look back and, and long for that time when we didn't have to worry about the existence of this other human being? Is a kingdom vision like having a baby crying, all the distress of the world, and just longing for the days when things were quiet before? Or is the kingdom vision looking forward to know that that child will grow and to wonder what potential there will be and to know that the crying will continue? There will be times of distress, but there will also be times of great celebration. And it's looking forward that gives us hope. Not looking back, not longing for what is, but looking forward to what shall be. Jesus showed up and said, The kingdom has drawn near. And he taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come, with hope and expectation. Willimon and Hauerwas, 
another book that I've been reading throughout this series, say it for us this way. We as Christians are not satisfied by the way the world is right now. In praying the Lord's Prayer, we lean forward on our tiptoes for what is coming, for what God is bringing among us. Thankful for what we have, Thankful for those in the past that brought it to us. Thankful for former generations, whether for protecting the country or for sharing the gospel with us. But we do not despair and look backwards. No, we, my friends, when we pray, thy kingdom come, we look forward in hope to what will be. And our comfort and consolation is that God is the ruler yet. The kingdom is here because the king of all is here. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. God, we come to you and we remember. We remember good things of the past. We celebrate as we look backwards but we also are reminded that you call us to look forwards. Lord, even as we have sung those words, build your kingdom here, win this nation back. We remember that you are sovereign and you reign over all nations. Lord, may your kingdom be built here among us, one disciple at a time. Make us fervent in prayer that what we pray may teach us what to believe And what we believe and pray may shape and form what we do. May this be so in your name for your kingdom's glory and honor and furthering. In the name of Jesus Christ, who reigns over all. Amen.